episode 654 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm ready to talk about some comic books. I'm ready to talk about some comic book news. I'm ready to talk about what we read from this past week. I'm ready to do the show open ahead of you. Wow, do I do it that bad, Joe? No. Calm down. Pump your brakes, son. No. Yeah. I'm good. I figured uh, I figured you were bringing the high energy, and I would bring the low energy. That's what we do. I like the fact that we yin-yang each other. So, you know, we're always good like that. So, but would you like to know what's on the show, Joe? That all I the would. things that you mentioned um, in the news, new titles by one of our favorite writers. Um a giveaway that I will always go crazy for. And anytime it's in the news, we have to bring these up. Um, conventions, what we read last week, which was both Traveling to Mars, number five, and Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. What we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues where we reread Sandman. Um, issues 31 and 32 this week. Um, no tar- Todd's Art Attack, I believe. And finally, uh, spoiler-filled talk of the penultimate uh, episode of The Mandalorian this season, I believe. That's correct. I think uh, this week is the uh, season finale, yes. Ooh, okay. I'm going to have to stay off the Twitter machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I've got enough mutes and keyword, like, um, not blocks, but like hashtag blocks. And Twitter's broken most of the times anyway. Right, right. So I do a really good job avoiding spoilers. I'm really good, and it's not something we both watch. But the one that just keeps slipping through on me, and I have to get to it quickly, is Picard season three. Uh. Because like all like I don't know, there's a lot of Star Trek fans that you know that don't like it probably, but because it's been universally like people liked it this season, um, loved it actually. That as soon as it airs, like everybody's talking about it. So I'm like, Oh, I got to get to that as soon as possible. But Mandalorian seems to slip through the cracks usually. Right. Cause it's like three o'clock Eastern time, mm-hmm. like in the morning. Right. And then I don't get to watch it until the afternoon. At least I don't wake up and go. That's the first thing I'm watching, you know? Uh, and so I remember last time, like I made sure to watch the season finale of these things, like first thing in the morning, you know? Right. Right. But I got a ton of stuff to watch this week. I got stuff for the wrestling show I got to watch. And I got, we got Swamp Thing to watch, uh, Swamp Thing 2 for the Patreon this week. And you talk about Swamp Thing, and we'll get to the show, I swear. Um, we'll t- we talk about Swamp Thing. I have to remember to watch Swamp Thing this week because I have gotten into a groove of organizing my comics that is ridiculous with the new app, not a sponsor that, that I've been doing lately. So it's like, I have to like, remember to stop doing it and do other things. I meant to ask you about that on after dark. Um, Mm -hmm. that's coming along, I guess. Yes. It's remarkably easy. Um, I have to stay focused on it when I do it, because the one thing that I will do is forget to change the file like, because I do it by comic box. So yes, box. I haven't done the boxes yet. I can, but I haven't done it yet. Right. So I do like, oh, here's all my books. So I'm doing it like one box. While I'm opening the boxes, I'm like, here's, and these are old boxes that were sorted and done. They're in order. I'm, I'm starting with the old ones. So I do them and I'd be like, all right, here's everything that's in this box. And I put it into box one, 
Well, then when you go to do box two, it when you go to the thing that says, oh, do you want to like file away these comics? It will stay called box one till you switch it, if that makes any sense. Yes. So I have to make sure I'll get in a, in a, in a vibe and go and they'll be like, oh, well, I just did all these comics, but I put them in the wrong box. Then I have to open up the boxes to see because sometimes they're, you know, they, they're the same books. So you don't know where it splits. And I'm like, okay, I have to do that. And then if you do it manually and put the books in, it'll be the last uh, box you did. But if you go by barcode, it will also be the last box you did. And sometimes they're not the same, if that makes any sense. So when I get in a groove, I, I forget to look and it messes things up. And the other thing that I don't like sometimes is with all the variants that are in there, um, I'll be checking off books and I'll miss one. And I'll look and it'll be like, oh, you're missing up this from this run. And I'm like, I could have swore that was in there, but that was 10 boxes ago. And I have to go back and check now. So a couple of things. And I have to see how things work, like the pool list. I haven't even played with that yet. So, But I love it. I actually really legitimately love the app. And they charged my PayPal for it <laughs> about like eight hours ago after my free week was up. Yes. Uh, well, again, th- uh, you know. I'm glad to be an enabler in your organization, you know? Yeah. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to wait until the first of the year and I'm going to do the shake my phone thing. I can't wait. Oh, nice. You'll be a phone shaker, huh? Yep. Mm -hmm. Always was from years past. Welcome aboard, I'll say. Okay. But enough with that. Let's get into the show. All right. Let's get into the show indeed. So, um, when... I saw this first news story. I'm like, no, that's not that much of a news story. It's just an announcement of a book that's going to be in the, uh, you know, whatever August solicitations, right? Mm-hmm. And then I see a second book pop up from the same creator. And I'm like, huh, that's two new books this month from the same creator. That's newsworthy, right? It's a creator that, you know, is back in the fold of DC. That's Mark Wade, you know, someone that we're both a fan of and, they had been away from uh, DC for quite some time, you know? Right. And now they're back in, like, full force. Um, you know, Mark Wade and Brian Hitch are doing a Black Label book um, called The Last Days of Lex Luthor, right? Right, which is a spiritual sequel to Birthright, apparently. Oh, really? That's the news I'm hearing, which I've never read Birthright, so <gasps> this may get me to do it. Birthright is great. Um, I know you were a Birthright guy, man. Yeah, so um, the Birthright fell in the problem that when it came out, it was like a 12-issue maxi-series retelling of Superman's origin. Yeah, like in an era that they were telling his origin a lot. And there was an era where they were telling his origin a lot. And I think within the next, like, less than 12 months, there was the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank Superman Secret Origins that came out. Which right. made this one, by the time the trade of Birthright was coming out, already obsolete. Because now there's another Superman origin being published, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was actually bits and pieces and ideas from Birthright that they took for um, the Brandon Routh uh, Man of Steel movie. Or Superman Returns movie? What was that one called? Brandon that Routh? Superman Returns. Right. There was some ideas that were in there that they took for that movie. And because that movie wasn't good, it didn't work out so well. Right. Um, but 
Jeff, or uh, so uh, Mark Wade, you know, you say it's a spiritual successor to Birthright. I say Yahoo. It'll go in the box as long as it's not a giant oversized book. Um, and then they announced uh, that they're do- Mark Wade and Emanuela Lupacino are doing a world's finest Teen Titans book. Now, I, at first, I'm like, ooh, is this replacing the Batman Superman world's finest thing? And they're like, no, it's going to be another book. Which makes me think that this is the test to see if they're going to do a quote-unquote world's finest imprint at DC. You know how there's a string of books at Marvel where it's like, oh, we're going to get like an old creator like a Peter David or a J.M. DeMatteis or whatever to tell more stories in the Joe Fixit timeline or in the Craven the Last Hunt timeline or whatever, right? Right. Yeah. X-Men does it a lot with like the I forget what they're called, but it's like the continuation of uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men run or the X-Factor books or stuff like that. Yeah. So the fact that we're getting a second world's finest book by Mark Wade makes me think that this might be the test to see if they're going to do like its own separate little imprint, its own separate little corner of the DC universe, which I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, I would be down with that, too. I only wonder, because I didn't see, maybe you might have saw it in the, in the thing, whether they said it's an ongoing or a miniseries, because Mark Wade's doing a lot of work. So I feel like that this one's, because World's Finest with Superman Batman is an ongoing, um, maybe this one will be a miniseries, because they don't do that. Like, I know next week's Green Arrow, because I saw it, is, uh, I was like, oh, Joshua Williams doing Superman and he's doing a Green Arrow book. And then I found out that uh, that was only a miniseries. Uh, so I'm curious as what this will be. It's not official. Um, like, because the full solicitations for July, I said August, the full solicitations for July aren't out yet. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the weird things, too, about the Green Arrow book. You mention it, right? A lot of times if it's a miniseries, I'll wait and I'll get the trade. Right? Right. But for some reason with this Josh Williamson Green Arrow, because it's a miniseries, I'm like, well, I'll give that a try. I've been liking what Josh Williamson's been doing. I like Green Arrow. I'll always give Green Arrow a whirl. <laughs> and the fact that it's a miniseries, I think I'm probably going to get it. Right. So you you didn't know that it was a miniseries until I just told you now? No, okay. N- no. So um, I didn't know it was a miniseries until like a week ago. Okay. I knew the book was coming out because Josh Williamson was doing like a huge push on all of his social media about it, his sub stack and everything else like that for the last month, you know, leading up to the final order cutoff date and nowhere in any of that stuff that was going out there said that it was a miniseries. The way I find out a lot of it is a miniseries is when I'm doing like gathering the books that I'm getting together to give you for the week. I use that web website that I really like and yeah. That'll have out to two weeks, maybe. So, like, even I'm doing this one, I get the next one primed, you know, to get the the, the pump primed. And it doesn't have everything, but it, it's a nice template. But they had the Green Arrow book, and it caught my eye because it's one of the books that, you know, that, that I ordered. I'm like, oh, that now it's coming out. But that site that I use will all, if it's a miniseries, will always say Green Arrow number one and then have the A through D covers or whatever. And it will always say one of six if it's a miniseries. Yeah. on anything and that's where i always get my information these days on whether a book is a miniseries or not yeah so i don't know but mark wade anyway friend of the show 
<laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, I'll I'll buy a Mark Wade thing, and I'll just throw this in here as a side. Um, I listened to a recent podcast appearance with Dan DiDio. Right. Um, because he's the publisher, or whatever it, whatever the Frank Miller comics are, you know. Right. And if you're talking to Dan, you're always going to talk about his time at DC. That non-disclosure and, contract is up, but go ahead. And that's the thing. D- Dan's not going out there and burying anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it, like, he could talk a little bit more free about stuff that he was already talking pretty free about when he was there, you know? Right, right. But now he could talk a little bit more free about it. But it was interesting to hear Dan DiDio say that the two people that he's ever worked with that get the DC universe the most are Jeff Johns and Mark Wade. Uh, you, you know what? I, I I agree with that a lot because they are the two best flash writers and other characters writers. I think there are people coming along with this g- generation. I think Chip Zdarsky is going to be one that understands it as we're reading yeah. his Batman. He gets all the side characters, like all the them showing up. They feel right when he writes them. But Jeff Johns, I mean, I feel like maybe editorial kind of stifled his creation for a while. But Mark Wade, Mark Wade, man, will tell you what social, what Superman's social security number is. That's how much he knows about the DC universe. Right. So my my take on it was that um, I agree with Dan, but I was always under the impression that there was beef between Dan DiDio and Mark Wade because it was during Dan's regime where Mark wasn't doing anything at DC. I feel that there was a beef. Something happened. And like when Mark didn't come back for that, uh, whatever it was when they were doing the, the, the ceremonial issues and it was like a flash 700 and they did that, that big and they had like, because uh, it was usually the 80th anniversary books, but Flash, for some reason, was near a 700, so they decided to do that instead of the anniversary. And it was like, you know, like Peter David didn't come back for Aquaman, and Mark Wade didn't come back for Flash. And I was like, there's legitimate beef here at DC. And even though Dan was, I think, gone at that time uh, for the, the thing, I think Mark Wade had to be eased back into DC because he was mad at them. I don't know yeah. if it was Dan, but he was definitely mad at DC. There was something going on. It just like, I'm not saying that it was Dan, but it was definitely during Dan's regime where like, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause Dan was what? 20 years at DC when, when Mark left. So yeah. But it was just interesting to see, um, you know, Dan say that Dan's always a great interview. Dan's always an interesting guy. Um, if you see him pop up, uh, on an interview, definitely check it out, you know? And I love that you didn't do your insulting impersonation of Dan Didio. I know I've, I've, you know, I, I've learned like, and not like Dan has come. It's, it's my impression of somebody else's impression of Dan, but I'm not going to do it. I think I've lost the impression, you know? I don't think you ever found it. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Well, something that I did find is that, uh, what's old is new again at DC. Uh, and with the new dawn of DC, Green Lantern number one that's coming out next month. You, if you buy a copy, you can get a free Green Lantern ring. And this is what a uh, 14, 15 year old promotion that DC is bringing back. Well, 
if you want to get if I'm pushing up my my glasses. Well, actually, Mr. Spostow, um, <laughs> this is a 30 year old gimmick. Okay. The first ring that I remember being given away, and I still have a bunch of them at my house, was for the John Stewart 1990s book, Green Lantern Mosaic. That was the first ring. It was a big, clunky green one that had a, uh, in the center of it, had a glow-in-the-dark uh, thing. So if you took the ring up, held up to the light, and then went in the dark, it kind of shined in the middle. And then it came back for the uh, Blackest Night stuff. Right. And other books. So I've been so far out of Green Lantern stuff. You know, I don't even know if there's multiple colored lanterns anymore. Yeah, I don't know on that either. Uh, I mean, other than Sinestro, he's probably still around. I I don't even know that. You know, like, I'm so far removed from Green Lantern. And we'll kind of get into, like, being far removed from other stuff a little bit later on. But kudos to DC for trying something to bring back. And I say, old readers... You know, mm-hmm. whether it be 30 plus years ago readers or 15 plus years ago readers with some sort of gimmick. And, uh, you know, also kudos to not stiffen the retailers on this uh, because they are making the first two issues of this since they just kind of dropped this whole um, free ring gimmick opportunity yeah. on There's the retailers just within the last week. Um, the fact that they're making the first two issues of a Green Lantern retur- fully returnable, you know, so that's, you know, helpful to the retailers so they don't take too much of a bath on the people that want the rings and less the book, you know? Yeah, because I definitely want the ring and I'll probably get uh, at least another one to go. I, I've learned not to say I'm getting two because I know how that joke works on something I like. That's right. Um, but uh, I will be getting uh, another one because I have a complete run of all the rings that they did from DC. And I have them both. If they came, they usually came, you know, in a big bag and they were each individually wrapped. So I have all the rings individually still wrapped. And then I have the uh, a second copy of them out of the bag. And that those are the ones that I take to the casino with me when I go gamble, depending on how I do and or feel, I change the different rings. So I don't know if I ever told you that story. No, you never did. Right. So like when I walk in, I have my orange ring because I'm avarice and I want to win all the money. And then after about 10 hands of blackjack and they've almost cleaned me out, I put on the red ring because I'm mad. Then I uh, go a few more hands and I'm like, ah, let me dip into my pocket again and go into my second hundred dollars and I'll put on the blue ring because I'm hopeful I'll make some of my money back. And then I put the black ring on and go home because my wallet's dead. That's a lot of gimmickry going on there for the uh, casino, you know? Well, you got to have a gimmick. That's always what I say. Nothing like a patron or a paying customer that has a gimmick, you know? Yeah, I'm all for it. So, yeah, I'll definitely be getting – hopefully I'll be able to get two from uh, our local Oh, anyway. No, so um, (laughs) I'm going to be the guy that brings my uh, original ring to see if the new ones are different to see if I need to get them, you know? Ooh, they probably are because they they kind of do a. I wonder if they would cheap out that way. Well, it is you know inflation and stuff. But like the the different rings that they've done, they even did like they've had a flash ring a couple of times, and they changed the flash ring. So I have like each of those. So we'll see. They did a Legion one, so I'm all for it. The only one I'm mad that they didn't do was I think there was like a Court of Owls ring. 
that they did. I know there was a mask they did with one of the hard covers, but I'm all for these kind of gimmicks where they're cheap uh, replica props, and I'm fine with that because usually it usually costs me like three hundred dollars. So I can toss those because those aren't real anymore. So I went and got my couple rings that I have. Yep. In my Doctor Doom Islands of Adventures mug. Oh, nice. So there was two flash ones, right? There was mm-hmm. one where it was just like a solid color, and there was one where it was like a painted lightning bolt, you know? Yeah, right. And then I think with the Green Lantern ones, there was one that had more of like a shiny finish and one that had more of a matte finish. Okay. And I'm looking to see if there's like a like date on this, right? I don't think there's any date on the rings, to tell you the truth. No. Though I will find mine. I know I have a... Com- so uh, I could take a picture of it that go all the way back to the one from the, the 90s. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm going to bring my Green Lantern ring with me to the shop in two weeks to see if it's different. And if it's different, I'll get it. If it's not different, why do I need two of the same ring, you know? Right. Well, yeah. you may want to get me a second one. That's why. Yeah. All right. So that's the news. Um, conventions this weekend... There's a huge convention going on, Todd. Right. The Wicked Comic Con in Boston, Massachusetts is this weekend, this Saturday and Sunday. Nary a media guest to be found. Love it. And I could sit here and I could just read off the people and like I pick and choose people that are like, oh, these would be of interest to us. And it's like for it's like four typed out lines of people you know that's how many people are going to be at this thing mm-hmm. um i'll pick uh you know of my favorites uh seeing ed mcginnis there you know that's right i don't think he gets out too 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 much um dan didio is going to be at this co- convention i like dan and dan's going to be there jimmy palmiotti's going to be there amanda connor's going to be there frank teary's going to be there eh, you know if you're going to that convention you see any group of those four walking around, you follow them to where the party's at, you know? Yeah, and if they're doing a panel, hit that panel, Joe. Yep. I don't know. I didn't look that far into the panels. I look into the panels if we're going, you know? No, I get you. I, I only do, too. I will say of all the names that are that you've typed out on this list, the one, because this is the way my mind works, is I would love to get a John Cassidy Lone Ranger sketch. Yeah, I remember That's that like, run on that I, book that he I, did all that yeah, time ago. I lo- Yep, I love that book. And anytime you get in John Cassidy's line, he's like, there is no sketching. It says right on the table. But sometimes, like, if you 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 know, you walk up and you're like, oh, like John Cassidy, he did, like, the covers to Captain America. He's like, uh, can you do Captain America for me? No, you know, I'm not doing Captain America. I don't, I'm not sketching today. But, like, if somebody walks up and be like, dude, can you uh, draw me a Lone Ranger? Like, they'll kind of look at you and maybe almost do it because nobody ever asks me to draw a Lone Ranger. You know what I mean? But I'm always afraid to pull that trigger so well for the silver bullet i guess but we'll see i was gonna say wasn't trigger the lone ranger's horse was that a pun no that was silver trigger was roy rogers horse i knew it was somebody's horse Mm -hmm. roy rogers wasn't the lone ranger no that was clayton moore okay the original one that was on happy days in the sunglasses oh okay do you remember that i do Right, because he he got the uh, cease and desist disorder to wear the mask <laughs> at the time. Um, so, because there was a TV movie coming out, and it was supposed to be more like like hard edge kind of it, and he was all upset, and he was going around like 
like decrying it and they were like oh my god the old lone ranger is decrying it and he's also doing stuff as lone ranger so they hit him with the cease and desist order that he couldn't wear the mask anymore but he was still able to like oh this is just a generic white cowboy hat and this is just a generic blue shirt and this is just a generic gun belt but he had like the thick like around the side sunglasses and they're like that's not a mask it's the sun i was like good for you clayton moore good for you he could have just had some Batman eye black on, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been the same thing. But yeah, if you're in the New England area uh, or traveling that way this weekend, it's a huge convention. No media guests to get in your way. Just all pure comic book folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, be sure to check out uh, Soon To Be Named Network at soontobenamednetwork.com, soontobenamednetwork.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in the uh, network go live or anytime any of the folks from the network go on other shows and then let me know, you can find them there at soontobenamednetwork.com. And those shows include Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Adults with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, and the recently debuted... And this pains me to say, so far, Spotify exclusive, oh. Hayabusi. Sweeping the nation, apparently, Joe. Sweet, Even I listen, know about it. It's a pop culture sensation in less than 24 hours. Uh, all the kids in the play. I, when I went to go pick up my kid at school today, that's all they were talking about. Yeah, wh- where is, you know, Hayabusi? When's Hayabusi going to be on? You know? Why is it not on my favorite podcatcher? All the yep. kids are saying. All the kids have their favorite podcatcher. And I explained to them, no, it's only on Spotify. It's like, oh, did he sign a deal with Spotify like Joe Rogan? I said, no, he's just got too frustrated to put it up anywhere else. <laughs> but... Uh, check those shows out, of course, and be sure to check out our friends that are doing stuff all over the internets and elsewhere. Uh, go check out Mike Sterling's blog over at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's blog at MassLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, go check out Chris Runt's Fortress of Comic News.com, where you can check out his podcast and his self-published comic, Battle Monster. Uh, you could also go check out recent guest of the show, Jason Sandberg's Indiegogo, uh, for the newest edition of Jupiter. I think he is well over his initial goal. He is creeping closer to $3,000 uh, for the goal there, and I think he also has it over on Kickstarter as well. Uh, but again, definitely support him because he supports us, and Jason's a good guy. Uh, go check out our friend Dave Tomain of the band Cave People, uh, his original comic book that he did, Keeper, uh, with artist Ro Sovia. We have the link to that in the show notes as well. And be sure to check out our local comic book shop. Maybe you don't have a comic book shop in your area, or maybe the comic book shop in your area stinks. Let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. I have the social media for our shop linked up here. This is where Dave lets everyone know when the new releases are in, when the order cutoffs are coming up for the hot books that are coming in. 
All sorts of stuff is over there on their Facebook page. Sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch from our good friend Becky. Now, I haven't see- been seeing her posting a lot of her sketches on social media. I'm going to assume that's because she's so focused on getting that portfolio together and having prints available for sale for the upcoming free comic book day. Without a doubt, I would guess, Joe. There's no way mm-hmm. that she would drag her feet. Mm-hmm. I harass her every week. I don't know what's stopping her, you know? I don't know. She's only stopping herself. She must not like money, Joe. Exactly. She, not I, Todd, I would go so far to say that she hates money. You know what? She might be a down, an old-fashioned money hater. Right. Uh, so all that stuff is in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, every time one of these episodes go live, no matter where it is that you get these episodes. So now, Todd, let's get into what we're lo- what we read from this past week. Right. I'm going to start with the uh, book I was looking forward to most, which is the new Guardians of the Galaxy book, number one, written by Colin Kelly uh, and Jackson Lansing, uh, art by Kev Walker. Um, basically the book starts out with, uh, you know, first of all, it's kind of an old West feel like the best way I could describe it is they're trying to do like a, I would say a serenity or a firefly kind of feel. Um, and the guardians end up showing up in this like town called, uh, solitude, I believe. And they're like, well, we kind of have to round y'all up and get you out of here. And they're like, you know, nobody's kind of taken off our, our land kind of, kind of a deal. They're talking to themselves like, yeah, we're ruining a whole bunch of lives. And we end up seeing like Mantis. She's kind of entrenched in there trying to like, you know, do whatever with her powers, I think, to kind of like, you know, change the mood of the the, the group or whatever. And it's told through the story of a young child, I I think, I gather from the book as he's like, they showed up in my town this day and they try to get them all out, evacuate them because something's coming. They don't want to go. They end up fighting as you would, because these people don't want to leave. And uh, we end up finding out what it is that is coming. And um, we kind of learn that the Guardians have fallen from grace, and we don't know why. Um, But they kind of, you know, allude to we're going to find out. Um, This book was kind of like tailor-made for me in the description. I really liked it. I thought it looked beautiful. I like the mix of the Old West and the, the, you know, the futuristic technology. Um... I really like what is coming because I want to find out about that and like how the guardians kick that off kind of a deal. But I will say for a space spaghetti Western, it was close, but there was something just off about it. that I was like, okay, I see what you're trying to do, but I don't think you have it yet. I'm hoping you can get it. It's not Western-y enough for me to put it that way, but I still like it. I'm going to try it. And the other thing, there was a couple of, situations where the art slash story i was confused on what happened i was confused on if there were there were survivors or if they were dead or not with one of the main characters something happens and i'm like and it's not really a cliffhangery thing i'm like i I don't know what happened there i just wish it was a more uh concise kind of a deal but i like the book and i'm definitely going to give it a more tries I, i do love kev walker's art on it so let's start there. I really like Kev Walker's art, and I mm-hmm. think his art really shines in this book with these characters, with the setting for these. You know, it's an old Western-looking planet and designs for the characters, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of where I fall off with the book. I haven't read a Guardians of the Galaxy book in a very long time. Um, you know, I always give it a try, but, like, it's never really grabbed me in quite some time. Um, you know, even I think we were on, like, our third Bendis reboot where I was like, okay, I'm going to try right. this out. And then that's it. Um, I know there's a Guardians of the Galaxy movie coming out in a couple of weeks. And it's nice to have new product. And it's nice to have the characters that are going to be in the movie that are in the book that's on the shelves. But the way that the characters are portrayed in the book aren't going to line up with the comic. That's not that big of a deal, but you're not going to get a lot of return folks, you know? Right. Um, when those sort of things don't line up. Now, you would mention that something happened that the Guardians are out of the graces of whatever. So the fact that we don't know now, again, is it we don't know what it is or it's happened in issues of Gardens of the Galaxy that we haven't read because we haven't read Gardens of the Galaxy in a very long time? I'm going to go by what I read. We don't know what it is because I think one of them tells them like, oh, I'm going to tell you what it is. And then things go awry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. So outside of the designs, outside of the art. The only thing I really liked in this was um, Mantis being the, like, you know, the... Showgirl? The showgirl. There you go. I was trying to think of the exact wording for it. I liked that bit. Yeah. Um, but this one did not ring for me, sadly. Um, it was okay. Um, it was not enough for me to come back to. Enough Western for me to come back. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. You have a much stronger affinity for Westerns than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the book that I was most looking forward to coming out this week was Traveling to Mars number five, written by Mark Russell, uh, with art by Roberto, Roberto Melli. And, you know, we've talked about this, but I think we might have missed an issue or two in talking about it on the show. Right. Um, you know, and just the real quick pitch premise for this is. Um, this takes place in the future, but not like a futuristic future. And our lead character is dying of cancer. So he signs up to be the liaison to be part of a mission for a manufactured food company to be the first one to set foot on Mars so that they could be the one to claim the resources of Mars as Earth is dying out of the resources. Right. Mm hmm. Um, we get a bunch of stuff that happens in this issue, a bunch of little things where they've, you know, over the course of the issues, uh, Mark Russell has given personality to some of the robotic helpers that are on the ship. We get a little bit of a backstory in regards to that Mars rover. That's the one that found out that the resources were available on Mars. Uh, we have the fallout from what the company did um to try to trick our lead character um but the main story of this uh in this issue is they tell him that they're going to make a statue of him in the hometown uh right. in alabama that he's from and we're getting a lot of flashbacks to his relationship with the wife the girlfriend and that's kind of who he's been pining for now that his end of days is coming and we get the story of the fish statue that his statue was going to replace. And that's the heart of the issue, Todd. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm kind of hitting around things because I took really bad notes. Usually I don't take notes when I read my books. 
Yeah. Um, but what's the name of the fish? Uh, give me one second. I have the book right here. It'll you have take... the book there in front of you. I should have been more prepared for this. Um, I think it's actually Leroy Brown. Leroy Brown. The baddest that story of Leroy Brown is one of the most most heart wrenching things I've read in a comic book so far in 2023. Right. I, I will say I'm with you on that, but the one that broke like and it's and it kind of hurt me was the rover on Mars. Like the the rover on Mars. I got goosebumps thinking about the rover rover on Mars. That's kind of like used up. Like I, I want to spoil anything, but it's you know it's like any rover that that NASA sends out. It's kind of like you know outlived its usefulness. But what they programmed into it, and I never thought about a NASA rover like that. And I was like. And just like how futile it made me realize how futile my life is, Joe. And I just crawled into like a fetal position after reading uh, Traveling to Mars 5 because the book in, in at its core is about like kind of like regrets about life to me anyway. That's what it's about. So I just I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting older and I've made all these mistakes. And, you know, I'm not I don't even have a statue like uh, Leroy Brown. The bass is going to have. Right. And, and And there's the bit with. Um, you know, Roy reminiscing about the stuff with the girlfriend. Um, the one robot is like just talking in nonsense, and he could reset the programming on the robot so that it'll talk normal, but he doesn't want to wipe the robot's memories. There's so many layers to this book of like the solitary of Roy and how he's kind of handling things and how we're going through all of this with him. And this is one of those books where I don't know how long this book is going for. I think they have solicited out to issue seven right now. And I think in a recent interview, Mark Russell said that he doesn't know how far it's going and that a blaze is kind of giving him free reign that like if eight is the last issue, then eight's the last issue. If he has enough ideas to carry it out more, it'll just keep going until he's out of ideas for the story. Right, which uh, I hope that he st- in the in that he stops it when it's ready to go and doesn't like pad it out. But I like Mark Russell, and I don't think he will. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, the- like and and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that like oh I'm going to pad it out because I want to sell more for the trade. It's more so like this is a story that I had like a fishbone for, and if I could fill it out and finish it in eight issues, I will. But if it ends up being 10 issues or 11 issues or whatever it ends up being is whatever it's going to end up being. Right. Because technically it has to have a finite ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at sure least certain characters to, have know? to, at least certain characters have to have finite endings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've really been enjoying this book and I feel as though it's been far too long since we've talked about it on the show, you know? I'm with you. And it, regardless of, cause it was close to be the book I was looking forward to most. But like a whole thing, like I always said, when you start a solicit, like it's half this, it's half unforgiven. I'm like, I'm looking for that book. But this book is on that li- that short list every month. You know what I mean? So I'm with you. For sure. Uh, so again, that's what we read from this past week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. 
Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead with four correct guesses over Todd. Yes. All right. And since I started, I go first. But I do want to say I did read your little blurb, the top of the pool post. Um, And, yes, I do like to throw you curveballs when I send you the book. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to send my list on Monday at 1. I'm going to send my list on Tuesday before we record after you send me my email. Maybe this week I'll send it on Sunday. I don't know. I'm just whenever I have it and I feel like sending it, I'm going to send it off to you and see what happens, John. All right. It shakes me, though. It does. I know. I know uh, the routine uh, gets you all worked up when it gets, you know, thrown off. But I'm looking over your list. And is the book you're looking forward to most Nightwing 103? It is. All right. What is Warlock Rebirth? Warlock Rebirth is, I don't know 100%. I believe it's uh, Ron Mars. Well, it's Ron Mars. I definitely writing it, but I think Ron Lim might be doing the art. And it's, as we discussed, it's in those days of the book, the way Silver Server Rebirth was. It took place during. Uh, that and I think that's what this is. Some today and some is a flashback in, uh, you know, the, the old the, like the Ron Mars run of like after Infinity Gauntlet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is also Nightwing 103. No, it's Warlock Rebirth. I try yeah. to play it down. I try to play it down, but yes, it's. It's the uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. It's, it's it is. I just looked it up. It's definitely Ron Mars and Ron Lim doing the book. So, all right, you got me this time. That's what I do. Actually, like I said, I didn't know. I knew Ron Mars was doing it, but right, the art kind of changes and stuff like that. It might be Ron Lim this month, but who knows next month. So it's interesting in the news section, of course. About how is DC testing out like a Mark Wade corner of the universe? But this is like, you know, because I, I think they've done like two or three different Silver Surfer miniseries, like Ron Mars and Ron Lim, and now yeah. doing a Warlock one. Like, this is like them doing, you know, cosmic stories from like the early 90s in 2020, whatever, you know? Right. Whether they kind of cross over and there's a flashback story. I always said this, and I think I've said this more than once on the show. I think this is about getting writers and artists who gave them some of their biggest stories that would go into movies and stuff like that a paycheck without giving them royalties. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, let's always have something on their plate. If they're getting paid, they ain't complaining about, oh, how come, you know, writers get a $400,000 to do a treatment, but I basically did the plot and got nothing. Here you have work every month. You that concentrate on that kind of a deal. Yeah, your name's in the credits, right? Yeah, well there you go. Yeah. Um I again I, I I like your theory in that regards, but uh yeah, just you know, we'll see if that's what DC's plan is here going forward, you know? Yeah. Um just as a side note as well, I don't know if you saw uh James Gunn, aka Jimmy Pistol. Uh, put up the picture of his first draft of the new Superman movie script. 
I saw something about it, but I didn't see a picture. I knew he was talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And he just kind of gets into the writing process and stuff. And he had just casually thrown out there in a reply to someone that one of the people that he's working on revisions of the script with is Tom King. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. You know, it'll be interesting to see if, like, when that's all said and done, uh, Tom King gets, like... uh, more than a inspired by credit, you know, maybe he he'll get like a, screen, a screenplay yeah. kind of a nod. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he gets like a co screenplay nod. Cause that's right. Uh, Who knows? He may get, uh, he may get an Oscar for screenplay and mm-hmm. then Tom King award, you know, Oscar award winning screenplay writer yeah. and writer of, you know, the human target. I mean, it's just interesting, you know. It's a, I, I like the fact that uh, James Gunn is kind of so forthcoming and, you know, let's say honest to a fault in regards to his process, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, hey, while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, dot com, of course, be sure to check out past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and the current ongoing um, reread in. T- uh, Todd and Joe have issues of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And Todd, I have to lament here. I'm not going to give the whole push. Uh, you know, we're four months in on this. I am kicking myself. I wish I reorganized these that we did issues 31 in the Sandman special. As opposed to doing issues 31 and 32 and then the Sandman special. Okay, we could still do it. No, we can't. No, we can't. No, we can't. We can't do it. Right. I'm kicking myself that I didn't. But here we are. We're talking about issues 31 and 32 of Sandman. Uh, 31 is one of the three Distant Mirrors stories that are collected in the sixth trade, Fables and Reflections. And then issue 32 is the first issue of A Game of You, which is the first issue in the fifth collection, A Game of You. And I took you explaining that very well. I didn't get mad because you had to do it. I understand. And I, I've learned to keep my blood pressure down. So, Good. Um, so like you said, starting with issue 31, uh, three Septembers into January, written by Neil Gaiman, art by Sean McManus. Um, the name of this title, three Septembers into January, as we'll find out, comes out throughout the story. But the way that the story got named as he was writing it was he was talking with the writer of, of four weddings and a funeral. He was a friend of his and he's writing for four weddings and a funeral while Neil's writing this issue. And he's like, Oh, I don't know if this movie's going to get made. I'm writing a screenplay for it, blah, blah, blah. It would not come out for like two years, but he's like, Oh, I like that title as a nod to your movie that we don't know is getting made. I'm going to name this issue three Septembers in a January. So I hope it rubbed off and that's what uh, got him his movie made. You know what I mean? But I like the origin of the, the story. So, uh, it starts out in September in 1859, where Despair, uh, who you know is is kind of watching this gentleman whose name is uh, Joshua, I believe Norton, um, who's contemplating t- like you know his his life, taking his life. He's in despair, and she's like, "Oh, like what are you gonna do? You were a rich and happy man, but not anymore." And then she's sitting there, and she basically says, um, "She calls out to Dream," and I like that she says. My brother, I do not stand in my gallery, neither do I hold your sigil in hand, but I call you, uh, dream, come to your sister, come to despair. And he does come. I do like that they show, because they always show that there's, like, protocol to calling them, but they can still do it without, uh, 
you know, doing the bit that they have to do to have all the sigils. And he asks why, you know, why have you brought me? And he's like, this man has entered my domain. He's contemplating death. Uh, he's mine kind of, he, he's, he has despair. What could dreams do about this? He, you know, you don't have it. And he ends up saying, I don't play your games. Um, you know, you basically, and they've kind of discussed it in a past episode where he's like, you, dis- you, uh, desire and delirium, like the older siblings don't, you know, deal with that stuff that's beneath us. And she's like, yeah, he's like, you will not, or you cannot do anything about it. He's like, I'm not going to do it. And she says, well, basically you think you're better than us. And because of that, that's why our brother left. This is on you. He wouldn't have left us if you weren't the way you were. So Sandman kind of like gives the like kind of a deal. He's like, all right. And he ends up taking him into the dreams and we kind of get his story. Uh, And she's asking him like, what are you doing? He's like, listen, I'm in his dreams to understand them. And we find out like that he was ruined by a shipment of rice and the way he looks at the new world and the country. And he's like, "Um, it's a land of possibility, but it's a country without a king kind of a deal. And um, he's like, Okay, he's like, uh, and so yeah, he, he, I'm sorry to interrupt. He specifically mentions, uh, he says, the land of possibilities, but is it land of chaos and confusion? A country without a king, a country without a king, he reiterates. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, uh, like Sam is like, dreams are not nothing. He goes, uh, he, she's like, so you could, you know, keep him from my realm, from all our realms before our oldest sister comes from obviously death. He's like, I have a hook in his heart. He's like, Let's see what you can do. Uh, he's mortal. He's nothing. And I like to say, I'm like, no. He's like, then I will give you a dream. And, you know, he, he wakes up from the, the, the thing that dream put him under. And he, like, leaves. And he's like, he has to get down to the newspaper before they close. And he gives them this thing. And they end up reading it. And I'm not going to do the whole thing. But he ends up basically proclaim, proclaiming himself the emperor of America, of the United States. And they're like, what are you going to do with this? He's like, I'm going to print it. And um, he's like out in the street. And then uh, death comes to dream. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, it's the contest. And she's like, you know, as we said, we don't play their games. And she's like, but she provoked me, you know, talked about her brother. He's like, that was his fault. It was his, not your fault. It was his decision. Um, And he's a grown up. And I thought you were too. I, I hope you know what you're doing playing this game with them. And he's like, I hope I did too. And she asked what you did. He's like, I gave him a dream. I have made him king. And like cut to September, you know, where the, the second September comes from in 19, 1864. And Samuel Clemens is upset that he can't get his story right. And he ends up going down to see uh, Norton in the street, Joshua. And he's like talking to him. And he's like, let's go. He's like, uh, and I, I have to correct you, you know, and he says, Hey, Mr. Norton, how's it going? And he says, not Mr. Norton. He goes, I really shouldn't have to remind you. The correct form of dress is your majesty. Yep. You know, and it's very interesting that like, so that what dream has done is kind of given this quirky guy a focus. Mm -hmm. Um, someone who, you know, maybe, had been driven mad or to the brink of sanity based on his failures, but now he has this thing to cling to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we've talked before on the show and on After Dark about uh, my feelings about people doing bits, okay? 
Right. And that's what he's doing. He's doing a bit, but as we learn, as the story goes on, more and more people buy into it. Yes. So he goes like, hey, you want to, are you hungry? And like uh, Samuel Clemens goes, you hungry? And he's like, yeah, come on, I'll buy you dinner. He's like, no, I don't expect, I don't take charity. He goes, but you have not paid your imperial taxes. And that comes to, I think, 50 cents. He's like, sure. And he ends up, uh, uh, you know, take, give me a receipt. I like that. And he ends up, you know, they're talking that he has been accused of being mad as he's talking to him. And, uh, he even says that I'm the one who proclaimed that there should be a bridge across the Bay to Oakland. So he's taking credit for the, you know, the, the, the golden gate bridge getting made. And that's where Sandman's sitting, watching him in the, you know, in the restaurant. And, uh, delirium walks in and she's like, you know, I like that. The one thing they've always said is they always tried to make delirium do regardless of artists. They wanted to make sure that the clothes weren't always the same. The look, the hairstyles change and everything. So she does. And she's ended up doing her, her bit where she's like making sense, but not a lot of sense when she's talking about like Chinese girls who are forced to do certain things and you know, how they lived and like kind of what goes through their minds. And I'm like, it's very like nonchalantly. She says some, and cutely says some creepy things, which is one of the things uh, that I love about Delirium. Um, and she's like talking about how he, he's that she's there for the contest, but he's so sane, except the part about being emperor. And uh, and it's funny, like in the end, she's like, he's not Mayan. He's, you know, he, his madness is what keeps him sane. And while that's going on, he ends up uh, talking to, you know, Clemens, who's really Mark Twain. He makes him the official spinner of tales of the United States and helps him with his uh, frog, the famous frog story of, uh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but uh, he's like, gives him like some ideas about it. And I like that Delirium's making the, the frogs as she makes little creatures and stuff like that. But in the end, um, like he says, he's like his madness. It keeps him sane. I love that Sandman says, "And do you think he's the only one, my sister?" Um, I always thought that was really cool. Great, so, great back and forth of those characters. Yep. So they jump to September. You know, the third September, um, uh, September nineteen seventy five. 1875 I keep saying that you know um and he's walking around he's older now and he's got his once again he's got his uniform on and he sees these uh what do you call them like they're tourists they're like oh are you the the emperor's like yes and they end up getting his uh uh, money thing where they can he prints his own money and they accept it in the town and that's how he survives and everything and they're like oh we got to meet the emperor of the United States and this Chinese gentleman comes and he's like, someone needs to talk to you. Uh, let's go. And I like that some guy comes to him and says he wants to go to an opium den. And the way the Chinese guy gets him off his back is just, I just like hysterical because that's what he thinks he's going to sound like. So he gives him the race, the, the racist stereotype to just, so he won't hassle. Him. I always thought that was really cool. And I will say, um, just as a side note, I'm not going to say that they were inspired by this tale, mm-hmm. uh, but having dealt with, um, you know, people from another country coming over to the United States for wrestling events. Right. Um, I have noticed that a lot of times many a foreigner will definitely play that card a bit to get out of doing a lot of things. Right. And right. again, you know, obviously 
I, I always think to myself, like, I would like to travel abroad, but I would like to have at least a cursory, you know, um, knowledge of the language before I go somewhere else and then just be painted as a dumb American. Whereas we would have visitors come over for Chikara or other companies that are from Japan or Mexico or whatever. And they would let on that they didn't speak a lot of English, but they certainly did speak a lot of English. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Um, so he says he wants to go to a play. He wants to, he's, his president is requested at the Cobweb Palace and they go and there's a gentleman there and he's like, someone wants to talk to you. And um, he's like, he's, he's got his bit going on. He's like, I'm the monarch of Monkswood, the wizard of Wolfsbane, the Earl of Actentine, the great, the late great King of pain. And he ends up saying, he's like, okay, I re- I've heard of you. You're the, 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 the liniment sal- salesman, but I heard you, you know, killed yourself over gambling debts. Um, and he's like, I am, I'm dead. And like, you, you don't swallow what I did and get up and walk away. And it's like, okay, so it's kind of bizarre. And he ends up making him like an offer. He's like, hey, you know, you're an emperor, but you have no uh, no queen kind of a deal. Like, how about I give you a chance to pick a, a queen? He's like, I've thought about it. I'm getting older and I, I have nothing. He's like, and he's kind of crass about it. And he's like, you know, asking, he's like, I have these pictures. And he's like, do you want to see them, you know, with, with or without their clothes on? He's kind of like you know, know your place kind of a deal. And he's like, how about like, you know, would you like to take your empress back to like a big palace and everything? Um, and he's like, are you trying to make a deal with me? He's like, well, only a little one. And he's like, what do you want? Anything you want. All you have to do is want. And he ends up saying, he's like, I'm a rational man. He's like, I, I, uh, my, I have my money. My clothes are all gift from the council, the city council, my money, you know, I, they accept my script um he's like well what about a real emperor i can make you a real emperor and he's like okay you want to make me a real emperor and he's like what happened he asked the the chinese man who's kind of his assistant he's like what happened when they arrested me he's like uh what did the judge tell the patrolman i like this he's like mr norton has shed no blood robbed no one and despoiled no country which is more than can be said for most fellows in the king line and he's like i'm the emperor of the, the united states what more could I want? And like he, King of Pain kind of loses his mind. He's like, you don't need anything. Pasha, I'm out. And so the emperor's like, throw well, again, I, I, I do want to go back and say it's I'm very sorry. specific of what um, Joshua says. He says, I am content to be what I am. What mm-hmm. more than that can any man desire? Good line, Joe. I'm glad you caught that. Sorry. Um, I have so, a book right here in front of me. So Yeah, I'm going through it, too. I'm kind of like, but I'm going so fast, my head gets spun up in these tales. So uh, King of Pain goes out and Desire's waiting in the horse-drawn carriage. Um, and she's like, she's mad. She's like, he wants women. He he, he lusts after things. He So badly, I could feel it. Um, and she's like, what did you do to protect him? He's like, nothing like he has his dignity he is after all the emperor um uh and she's like uh i like that she kind of says pain get your uh deceased butt in here we're going and uh he's and i like that sandman once again chides desires like you disappoint me um you know out of all this you brought a bet in all of this you brought a dead man back to offer norton nothing but the pleasures of the world it was not very subtle and he's like 
go to heck, you know, Sandman kind of a deal. And then she, in the end, she says something. She's like, um, you want subtle? Well, just wait. You'll get subtle. Not here, not with Norton, but I'll make him spill family blood and I'll bring the kindly ones down on his blasted head one day. Hmm. Foreshadowing, possibly, Joe. This is issue 31. Yep. Okay. So uh, now we cut to January in 1880. And Joe, there's not many panels that bother me in comics. And this panel didn't bother me. Till I recently reread it after something happened nearly a decade ago, Joe. Mm-hmm. But him le- uh, kind of like reaching for his shoulder as the as the kind of a thing. I'm like, oh, oh my god! Like I know what's happening, and I I felt that feeling. So like despair shows up, and she's like, "You died," you know. And she's like, "I hoped you would come back to me." Um, but you ended up, you know, dying in a gutter. But you never despaired, and. She's like, uh, you know, you won to Sandman. He shows up, and so it would appear. Um, but remember this little little challenge, you know. I have something for it. It's a statue they sell in this town, mementos for travelers uh, f- of the Emperor's land. It's a statue of him. Take it um, and take it back to the world of mirrors. I always liked that Despair's mirrors were like her sigil, like most depressed people seem to stare into mirrors. Um, and take it as a souvenir for the lesson, if nothing else. She's like, what lesson? She's like, he's not going to tell her if she don't get it, she won't get it. So death shows up and she's like, it's time to go. And he gets up and he explains that he something struck him in the chest. And she's like, have you ever heard the story of the 36 to Zadikim? I don't know if that's how you say it, but she says, basically there's 36 living saints uh, 36 unselfish women and men that are holding up the world basically because of them it exists and you know unselfish people she's like that's an odd legend to tell me is there a significance to it and she's like I've met a lot of kings and emperors and heads of state in my time Joshua I've met them all and you know something I think I liked you best and I do like um, that she's like oh I like your hat can I try it on he's like sure and this is the stuff about I almost cursed here uh, about how I love death like she is so like each time she shows up Joe I want to meet her more and more even though I know who she is I want to meet her now and I and that's that's a good thing it makes you like you know not hate death and he's like I wonder what's going to happen and she's like well everybody wonders sooner or later but everybody gets to find out um, and I like the last bit is like Joshua Norton was buried on a Sunday, the 10th of January, 1880, 10,000 people filed past his body as it laid in state and his funeral was over two miles long. Well, the line to his funeral, his burial was marked by a total eclipse of the sun. He was the first and last emperor of the United States of America. Joe, do you know, this is all a true story? Yes. Which blew my mind. Like once again, we talk about reading about this in the nineties. Like, so I didn't have the, like, a lot of ways to, like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, study this, like, look into it. But when I found out it was a real story, how the fact that the three lesser endless, uh, desire, despair, and delirium kind of fight over people, it seems logical because we're all, like, fighting depression, desire, or despair, and how, like, dream and death want none of it. But he gets into it, and he's like, let me put you all in your place, and he does it. I absolutely love this is one of my this is literally maybe one of my favorite one shot Sandman stories obviously over uh, 
over. Uh, it's not over eight or anything like that, but it's way up there for me. I forgot how good this story is. Yep. Um, I forgot how great Sean McManus's art is in this. Right. Uh, how he captures all the endless in a way that really haven't been captured up to this point. Um, I'm glad that Sean McManus does the next couple issues here as well. Uh, in the uh, Game of You stuff. Now, there's one thing that I want to bring up that's not in the trade, but it was in the single issue. Okay, we get um, like, you know, what, what do you call it? Like the masthead where it tells like everyone who's involved in the issue, you know? Right. So it says drawn by Mr. Sean McManus, colored by Professor Daniel Vozo, lettered by Todd Klein, notary of New Jersey, assisted by Alyssa Quitney, Queen of New York, edited by Karen Berger, Empress of Book- Brooklyn. And then after Neil Gaiman, it says PJF. Right. I couldn't find what that means. And you're the one who kind of gets a little bit more digging and research on these things. Do you have any idea what that means? I have no idea what PJF means. I didn't even notice that. That's one of those things that like, I've never really thought of when I was looking at the book. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Do you, did you looked up PJF? Uh, You know what I mean? And I couldn't find any significance of it online initially. Um, you know, obviously it comes up like manufacturing places and, you know, uh, all these other little things, but nothing that would be in, um, conjunction with this, right? Okay. Um, I just, um, looked up something and it says PJF stands for the Prejoicean Fellowship. Its abbreviation is PJF is a collective identification that was semi-seriously adopted by several writers known for fantasy and science fiction to indicate that they value 19th century values of storytelling. There you go. Perfect. Sorry, that took me a second to, uh, to bring it up on my phone. You know what I mean? Well, you're, I, that's what I get for using DuckDuckGo versus Google, you know? Google has all your Sandman answers, so. There you go. Um, so now we're going to talk about issue 32, which is the first uh, for the trade of Game of You. Um, also, Neil Gaiman, also art by Sean McManus. For the most part, um, I know we have some stuff in here by Colleen Doran as well, right? Right, yeah. I think there is some fill-in art throughout the way, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but uh, an interesting note that orig- the original title of A Game of You was The Game of You. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the cover, A Game of You fits perfectly in the font that uh, McKean had done for the cover. And he said if it was the, it wouldn't fit the way as an artist he wanted. So Neil came back. He's like, well, I'll drop two letters and you know, take two letters less and make it a game of you so it will fit visually on the cover. I like that, that it was going to be the game of you. You know what I mean? Yes. So we start off in the land, which we don't get much about. And I like the fact that the uh, Todd Klein, the letterer, has made the, uh, the they're not word balloons, they're text uh, blocks, but they're different colors. And once again, you know, we get to see uh, by the colors, we can figure out by the names as they're calling each other, who's talking and about what. And they end up talking about uh, that where is, you know, uh, the, I don't know how to say it, the Tano, the Tanth Oblin, I guess his name is like, he was supposed to help us, but I felt him die. 
and uh, the cuckoo's going to rain over all, and things are going to be bleak. Um, and they end up like, you know, we end up finding all the characters' names are Pranado, Luz, Wilkinson, and Martin Tenbones. And we don't get to see them. We just get to see them them talking through in this cave from the snow. We keep getting closer. And they're like, what happened to the princess? She's abandoned us. And it's like, she never would. But, um, well, what are we going to do, Martin Tenbones? And Martin says, I have the... Per- uh, the porpentine he's like as long as i have that we're okay i guess i'll have to go find her and when i do um you know she will help or else land will fall to to the dark and the cuckoo will prevail overall so we cut to new york the real world um and it is barbie from back from a doll's house who is ken's uh, you know, girlfriend and, and everything. And she's woken up by somebody knocking on the door. And we end up, uh, we find out it's Wanda, um, who we're going to just, we'll discuss as we get to certain parts about Wanda, I figure, you know what I mean? Um, and she's like, Hey, come on. Uh, why don't we go shopping? And she's like, I, I look a mess. Um, I got to go put on my face when you do, uh, you go get, make coffee and, I'll do it. And I like that she ends up putting on her face. So we'll find out that it's half a checkerboard. She's doing some interesting stuff, but they don't have any cream. So she's got to go uh, find it. And this is as Wanda goes, we'll see all the other people in the house. Um, we end up seeing Thessaly uh, and Aston. She's like, no, I don't have any. I have soy milk. She's like, no, I think she wants, you know, real milk. So they go and they go to see Hazel and Foxglove who are uh, a lesbian couple and she ends up, uh, did she end up walking past? Uh, no, that was my mistake. Sorry. Uh, so she, she does end up walking past George as well. George. Yes. We get George. So uh, she ends up asking them and she gets uh, cream and they do have some and she ends up giving them in the cute little frog mug, which will be a story point. Um, and as she's going back downstairs, she runs into George, who George looks like a guy I wouldn't want to have as a neighbor. Joe. <laughs> he looks very angry. Um, and I like that she does this passive aggressive thing <laughs> where she talks to George. How is it hanging? And he says, why? He doesn't say anything. She's like, well, I'm dandy. This is, you know, my cute little frog mug. No, it's not mine. It's for a friend. I would never have anything like this. Um, so she goes down, and I love the look with Sean McManus's art of Barbie doing her face a half checkerboard. That looks fantastic. Um, and she says that we're going to go shopping, and I like this bit. And he's like, where do you want to go? How about Tiffany? She's like, but we're broke. You know, you're crazy. And he's like, what does it matter if we're broke? Where we go? Um, so they end up getting ready to go out. Cut to Sandman, and he's like, uh watching something and Matthew's like, what's going on? He's like, um, I know, I'm not sure. It's like, it's not a dumb question, but, uh, but past and future are casting ripples into the dreaming and something's happening. Um, that's why I've come to this place. And he's like, uh, something traveled from one state of existence to another. And, uh, one of the more distant scaries of a dream, uh, might, something might happen. It's like, I'm just here to observe the consequences because one of them is dying. I fear. And, you know, I, and that only grief could maybe, you know, be the outcome. Um, but they come, they go, they live, they die. So I'm not really sure I'm going to do anything about it, but you know, I'm, I'm probably he's going to keep his eye on it. You know what I mean? 
Right. I, I do just want to interject and say um, I do like how uh, Barbie's whole thing set up uh, in the uh, apartment that she's living in mm-hmm. uh, very much um, echoes back to the doll's house with Hal and you have the house and there's all these different characters that are living there and they're all going to become entwined in the story, but we don't just know how yet. And obviously because Barbie is from the doll's house, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I hate to be, you know, we make a joke about it and say it's like poetry. So it rhymes, but it's definitely poetry. So it rhymes that it gives you those feels to remind you back to those stories and that they get a little bit deeper in it, in the story itself. Right, and we may even cut back to talking about some of those people from that doll's house, but I get totally what you mean. Yeah. So they get on the subway, and there's an old lady panhandling, and I and she ends up like seeing this puppy, and she ends up freaking out, and she's like, I don't like dogs, I'm scared of dogs, um, and she's trying to get off the subway. And I, I genuinely, every time I read this, I genuinely feel bad because... For the old lady, like she's definitely scared of dogs, and I don't know why, but the art and the way Neil tells the story, I just feel bad for this lady because of how scared she is. I've been scared. I don't. I don't know. It just this scene always makes me feel sad. And we're just going to call her the, uh, and they actually do throughout the story, the scared of dogs lady. You know what I mean? Um, and they basically talk about how uh, they're like, oh, like, I feel bad for her. And, and Wanda's like, you have to be tough in this city, um, uh, you know, the, or else we're all going to be the I'm scared of dog ladies kind of a bit. And she goes up, up running out of the subway and there's this creature, giant creature there that looks kind of like a dog. And she ends up like screaming big dog to the point that she wets herself and that's like a powerful scene. She falls down on the ground. She's so upset. And once again, makes me, uh, you know, sad about it. And I like, you know, this character. I always did. Uh, so they go and they have breakfast, uh, they being Wanda and, and Barbie. And they end up talking about dreams um, and how uh, Barbie ends up that she says she doesn't remember her dreams anymore. She, uh, there was a time when she had them. They were always the same. They kind of... Uh, uh, were the, the same, but I don't know along the way they just happened. And, uh, you know, when things kind of went bad with uh, Ken and he's like, well, what happened? We kind of just split up. We went through a, this breakup and he went with one girl and I went the other way and somewhere in all that, the dreams went away. And then Wanda ends up telling her dream about the weird Zaros who fight Hyperman and how like it is being different and you know um and basically this is going to be go throughout the story and it was supposed to be Superman and the Bizarros Superman editorial put the kibosh on all that they're like nope so he's like well I have to change it to uh to uh what do you call it the Hyperman and the uh, weird Zaros so she ends up saying that she hasn't dreamed in two years and it was a land of danger. And there was a guy called Mr. Boney or something like that. And she's, she's, uh, well, she mentioned, she goes, it was like a big dog thing or something. Right. Who, who was my best friend. And she also mentions earlier, um, that it was a book and she kind of addresses her dream that it was this, the same dream, but not the same dream that it would be like a TV show that like, 
every time that she would fall asleep, it would just kind of pick up where it left off. Right. It was a continue. It was the same. It was always the same dream, but it continued was the yeah. kind of the deal. Um, and he's like, you know, and the whole land was always in terrible danger. Um, and I like the fact I found this out that she mentions. And then after that, like that night, Ken left me and he went off with Cindy and the gag here with Cindy is Neil Gaiman ends up telling, saying in an interview is obviously the gag was that they were Ken and Barbie. But when Ken and Barbie broke up in this, I didn't know. But he says that there's a Barbie knockoff doll in Britain <laughs> called the Cindy. Yep. S-I-N-D-Y. So he thought it would be funny to have Ken date Cindy. Um, I just thought that that was kind of funny. And she mentions how she came to New York from where she was that uh, in Florida, that Hal, her own land, her old landlord knew the new landlord that she's with, which is Scarlet. And she got them up here. So uh, I, I thought that was cool. And then Wanda's like, Oh, okay. Um, when I moved up here, I wanted to be a weird, I wanted to be a weird Zaro when I grew up weird Zardo Alvin. And she's like, Alvin's your real name. She's like, Wanda's my real name, Barbara, Barbie baby. Alvin just was the name I was born with. Um, you ever tell anyone, Barb's, and you're dead meat. So we find out that Wanda at this point is a character who was born a man, but she identifies as a woman. If I'm doing something wrong here, chime in and let me know. <laughs> nope. So I wasn't going to chime in. I was going to listen. No sweating here. I will only say this is a book that came out, you know, whenever this was published initially. Mm-hmm. Um wildly progressive ahead of its time. Um, Joe, as we go on with this, I will discuss. Yes. Um, you know, I would make matters such as this, that are such hot button topics today. Um, you know, that people have difficulties handling in 2023. The fact that Neil and the editors and DC and everyone else were able to handle, you know, trans issues in such a positive way. Yes. And well, we'll discuss as we go, because there are some people now, granted, this is 1992, whatever, maybe um, some people who, who look back on it and say like, and at the time we're like, no, this was a mistake. And there are, you know, like different sides. And Neil talks about them in interviews and stuff like that. And I like it. But yes, it is one of the most like progressive books at the time. And I won't get into it like too much, but when, when they do this, if they get to this story in Sandman, the Netflix TV show, I can't wait to see people's head explode going. I can't believe this new woke garbage that they know put into this show or whatever. Yeah. Right. That they're like, can you believe this Wanda character that they blah, 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 not knowing the history about like how far back this character goes. So, and I know it's going to happen. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So 1990, November of 91 is the cover date of this issue. Right. So they're usually a couple months ahead. So Right. But summer. still, you're, we're talking about something that's like 32 years old. You yes. Know? Which I love. I love that. So, um, and like I said, we'll discuss nuances of the character as they pop up as we go. Um, so now Martin Tenbones is in Manhattan, as we see. But now he's all busted up, Joe. Uh, and I like the line. He's like, this is a bright place filled with frightened people and fast and hard things that hurt and wound. He's been hit by a taxi, hasn't he, Joe? <laughs> he certainly has. And him describing, I'm not going to go into it, but I like the 
the the things like the city but he's like i'm brave i am not afraid i will not be afraid um and wanda and and barbie are walking through the city and they're still talking about the weird zaro comics and uh we get a little bit of of wanda talking about um how she likes them be kind of a deal uh with the weird zaros they're like with my aunt dora who still talks to me um i mean she prays for me uh to reprint my wicked ways but she still talks to me at least like setting up how her family is and she says they my family still has the old room on the farm just when i like i left establishing that her family is on most of it is unbending with her lifestyle um so because that'll pop up later and then the cops are basically like watch out get out of here don't you see it and it's Martin Tenbones and he sees Barbara and he starts yelling like my princess in his head and he goes off and they just gun him down. And I remember being gutted by this. Um, and he basically says, I've come for you. Uh, we need you. The, 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 the land is, is falling. I have the porpentine. Take it. Please take it or the cuckoo will destroy us all. Um, and she's like, what? And like, get away from it. It's still dangerous. And she starts crying. And as the makeup like runs down her face, Wanda's like, what's the, what's the matter? And they're just like, the creature's dead. It's gone. Um, we cut back to the land and the, the, the rest of them. Now we can kind of see them. There's like a, a, a muskrat or a mouse, uh, a dodo bird and a monkey. And they're just talking like, I felt them die. And uh, then we're we're in trouble. And he's like, and they all start like talking about it. And in the end, they're like, uh, we're done. And the one dodo bird says, Wil- Wilkinson, for Murphy's pl- sake, please be quiet. And they will end up talking about for Murphy's sake um, as it goes on. So they end up going back to the apartment and, and Wanda's going up and she ends up, you know, taking her in and I need some time to myself um, George kind of wonders what's going on. She's like, she just had a hard day. Uh, leave it alone. And she opens up her hand while she's in the apartment. She has this this stone and it's like the porpentine. She's like, that was only supposed to be in my head, my dreams, all the stuff she runs through some of the stuff. And then the, the room is filled with like blackbirds and they disappear. And she's like, it was only a dream. It was only a dream. And those blackbirds kind of come back to George's apartment and George opens up his mouth and eats one. And he has a creepy poster of Barbie on the wall, the person, not the doll. And she says, like, uh, you don't know us, Princess Barbara, but the children of the cuckoo know you. We know all about you. End of chapter one. Yeah, so like I said, I this is why I'm kicking myself that I wish we did the Sandman special here so we're not having the break in between issues, uh, the first issue of this story and the next thing. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the stuff with Sandman lives in my mind all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's other stuff that kind of just needs the poke and we're in the era that needs the poke. Um, you know, the, the three Septembers and a January needed that poke to kind of get things going. This one needed that poke just to start reading those first couple pages. And then as I'm reading those first couple pages, like it all comes flooding back to me and I'm like, oh, well, how come this doesn't happen in this issue? And how come this doesn't happen in this issue? And how come this doesn't happen in this issue? And I'm like, oh, it's happening later. It's like the issue two and the issue three of the issue four of the storyline. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, some great visuals in this, as you mentioned, like the part where uh, Barbie, Barbara, 
is crying and the makeup is running and you have that close up and the panels just of her face. Um, and then you get the reveal where, you know, the, the, the dream vision flashes and there's the birds in the room and then she's back to reality. And then what the, and then you get that moment in the visual storytelling, like not that you're able to not tell from the rest of the page, but the fact that George is sitting there and one of the birds from the dream flies out and he very secretly takes it into his room and essentially just swallows it whole, right? Right. And then you have that last page of the close-up of his face and letting you know uh, that he does have bad intentions. Right. And again, well, the, the mirror of the doll's house stuff where uh, Fiddler's Green was someone who was from the Dreaming that was living in this house. Um, you have this person, George, who is an emissary of the Cuckoos, who is living in this apartment building with Barbie, who has this connection to the Dreaming. And obviously we don't know what's going on with the Cuckoos, what Martin, Ten- how Martin Tenbones was able to cross over, but obviously Morphe was able to feel it. Um so much of this has all just come running back to me reading this before the show, you know? Joe, and we'll get into all that, anything you want to talk about. How about I make you uh, uh, an offer? What do you say um, it won't hurt anything mm-hmm. if we go straight into the rest of Game of You and then after Game of You's owner do the special? Let me look at the schedule. <laughs> because the issues, regardless afterwards, even if it becomes... The if we're doing the last issue of Game of You, and then an issue, it could work out because the next three issues after that are one shots again. It wouldn't hurt. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So we would do. I'm trying to look at this here. Give me a second. I got no problem changing the schedule. You know, right? Because Game of You goes to issue 37. Okay, so let's. Okay, that's what I needed to see. So what so would we would do thir- is- so we would have to do 32 we we're going to do 33 34 35 36 37 which would still be uh a game of you and then we would end with the one shot special on that that week. So we would do 37 and the one shot shot special? We could if you want. <sighs> Are you just did you put 31 because it was so it's long. I I don't uh, I I don't remember. You know, <laughs> we're talking five six months ago when we put this together. You know, fair enough. I just put the issues in the order of the months that they came out. You know what I mean? Right, right. So like I didn't I didn't realize that it was in the middle of game or one issue into Game of uh, You. I almost said Game of Thrones. So, but don't do that. Yeah. Let me look at this. Give me a second. You're looking through the, the books? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we can always adapt on the fly, you know? It's, but And again, we can and we can't. I just feel as though if we're changing on the fly this far into things, like a quarter of the way in. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried on how the rest of the because like if we just do one issue then one issue then that completely throws everything off you know right and that's not what I'm looking to do um so we are jumping a little bit here so I think 
what we could do is I don't know. I don't want to swear. Mm-hmm. But I think we it would probably be in our best interests to move the special after issue 37. Right. And maybe do 38, 39, and 40 all together in one clip. Okay. Just so, so it doesn't mess things up too, too much. Only because so I think issue 37 is like a bigger issue. Okay. I'm looking at the page count on it. It's a little bigger, not too, too much bigger, but right, right. Yeah. So again, that's not going to mess things up too, too much, but I think it's going to make things a little bit more cohesive. I should have put special before we started this, but it is what it is. So uh, again, when this goes up, um, we're going to finish a game of you and then we're going to come back to Sandman special. So, okay. All right. Or we could stick to the plan. It's up to you. I don't want to. At this point, I can't stick to the plan. Okay. (laughs) It it feels as though it'll be too disjointed if we read Sandman's special and then pick back up with a game of you, you know? Fair enough. And I'll look Um, over the list as we go. Yeah, I I just wish I'd caught it sooner, you know? No, I'm with you. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. At least it gives us some time to figure out where we're going to put the um, uh, the statue story as well, you know, because I had the statue story with the Sandman special since they were short, you know. Well, the Sandman statue story is about three paragraphs. We could do that in like 30 seconds. So, But still, we got to right. fit it in there somewhere, you know. Well, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I gotta refigure the list out, but at least this is what we got for the next... We're good for the next four weeks until I reconstruct the schedule, you know? I gotcha. Um, Yeah, I'm all thrown off now. Um, That's my fault. Um, Longboxheroes.com Go sign up for the Patreon. I'm not gonna give it the full plug. Um, You know, we got two shows... Dollar a month, five dollars a month. Uh, previewing the past, the movie show. We mentioned the top of the show. We're doing Swamp Thing two this week. Uh, five dollars will get you these shows two weeks before everyone else, and it'll get you uh, Long Box Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. You can listen to everything in the correct listening order. Um, eBay affiliate link. Go check that out. I'm not reading the disclaimer for it. <laughs> It is what it is. Um, right. So we don't have any art attacks, or you would have said something earlier. Right. But now we got um, episode seven of The Mandalorian. Right. The penultimate episode of the season. Um, so we were talking earlier about things getting spoiled on us, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to kind of go all over the place. Uh, the one thing that got spoiled on me before I got a chance to watch the episode 
was Baby Yoda riding around in IG-12? You mean when they cranged IG-12 and made him, uh, made Baby Yoda ride around in the dead husk of his friend? <laughs> uh, but it was fun because he had a button that he could say yes or no. I, I'm actually surprised. Yeah, I was. I was. I, I'm surprised. I didn't see more memes with one of your friends from wrestling with the. Yes I was going to say somebody needs to go and take a Daniel Bryan meme of him doing the yeses and the noes, <laughs> right? With the baby Yoda yeses and noes, right? Which was a. I will say this because we're going to be all over the place. I de- I definitely understood that they try to make the yeses and the noes annoying. Early on, because you know that's it was cute and it was funny, and the kids are all going to like it. But I will say that bit plays pays off later when the the Boba Fett's like come like start fighting each other. When there's Boba Fett on Boba Fett crime, I thought that was a really cool scene when uh, Baby Yoda gets in between them and says no. You know what I mean? I didn't think the the yes. I thought the yes and the no's were supposed to be uh, annoying to Mando, which they were. That's I, I found mean, yes. them adorable the whole time. I didn't. Well, see, I hate kids, so <laughs> like when he was like, 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 basically the this, uh, the fact that Carga Grief um, ended up putting a child in a remote control assassin robot. I was like, are we really thinking this thing through? Um, and then well, listen, was, they, they went and repro- deprogrammed all the Empire droids to do manual tasks around the city. I'm sure that won't come and bite them in the butt somewhere in the future, right? Right. But what I mean is these are the good guys. They're supposed to be smart about this, like the heroes of our story. And it's just like, oh, like, hey, let's try him out in this thing that apparently we can't get him out of because he just starts slapping people around now that he can control the robot. I'm like... It would basically be like me going, hey, baby Asa, do you want to drive my car while I stand by and watch? I was going to say, Asa's like 11. He could probably drive your car. He's tall right, enough. He can I reach the like pedals. A, and... Right. A young, a young 80-year-old Yoda baby. You know? No, I, listen, I get you. You know, Baby Yoda reminds me very much of my uh, little nephew. So You get what I'm saying. But I like I said, it pays off later on when they're yeah. on their rock skiff. I don't know. How many different iterations of chess are there in the Star Wars universe? Um, Where they're, ch- they're played on a chess board or a chess-like board, but they're like all different ways that you play the game. Unless the version that was on the Millennium Falcon was a fancier version done with holograms, and it's just the same game that they just make new versions of. Like, it's the Star Wars universe's Uno, where we can't just sell the same Uno deck to you every year. We have to change the, like, oh, here's Uno Dark and Uno Flip and all these Uno accessories for it, you know? No, I get you because I've bought uh, chess sets over the years. You know what I mean? Um, that were just like, oh, these are the Marvel Comics chess set and the uh, the DC Comics chess set. So that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, obviously this is the penultimate episode of the the series, the season. Um, we have Bo-Katan getting the Boba Fets together, the Boba Fets that take their helmets off the Boba Fett's that don't take their helmets off. Um, they have the plan uh, that they're going to go back to Mandalore. Um, they're where the capital was. 
if they can get to the forge and then get to the safety zone, they can start the rebuilding process of Mandalore with everyone together. They have the bit where Mandalorians with and without the helmets are volunteering to go. When they go to Mandalore, they come upon some folks um, that are of that Mandalorian ilk that don't have that don't wear the helmets, but they're essentially like pirates and scavengers. They're the ones that are left from the Night of a Thousand Tears, where Bo-Katan was willing to sacrifice herself and turn the dark saber over to what's his name now? I forget. Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. But unfortunately, who could have seen it coming that he would have betrayed her? And that's why she ended up joining up with the outcasts of stuff. So we get some heavy uh, Bo-Katan stuff in this. Right. But all of this is leading up to what had been laid out earlier in the episode with Moff Gideon. And we're talking about Grand Admiral Thrawn with the Shadow Council. And Moff Gideon gets the intel from our spy from all those episodes ago who ended up selling out Dr. Pershing. And they're talking about Project Necromancer, Todd. What could that be, Todd? What could Project Necromancer be? It could be anything. (laughs) Right. Um, You know what I like about the Shadow Council, Joe? Did you know who was on the Shadow Council? Uh, I didn't recognize them. Should I have? Well, Captain Pelion, I believe, was the one from like all the Grand Th- Admiral Thrawn movies. But there was also a Commandant, Brendel Hux, who is Hux from the the the, the, the Rise of Skywalker. Remember the Second in Command guy? Oh, okay. That's his father in this story, and he's played by the uh, actors who played Hux in the movies' brother. So interesting. It's, yes, I like it. So we're seeing Star Screams. I mean, uh, C- Commander Hux's father in the Shadow Council. Oh, I always thought goodness. Hux was Star Scream from the movies. I thought he got done dirty. He was my favorite character in the the, the, the six through nine, seven through nine. So, uh, but so the Shadow Council, of course, need to get on the same page, take out the threat of the Mandalorians. But of course, all the members of the Shadow Council all have their own separate opportunities going on that they're not <laughs> letting each other in on, of course, which will definitely not be the downfall of the Shadow Council or the thing that will allow Moff Gideon to take them all out eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while the Mandalorians are doing uh, what they need to do on Mandalore to get to the Great Forge, they're ambushed. Uh, by a giant monster that takes them out of the ship that they're on, and then they're ambushed again by Imperial people that are coming in on jetpacks, and from a distance they think that they're Mandalorians, but they're not Mandalorians, they're Imperial folks, because Moff Gideon has already gotten to the Great Forge, and he is making dark trooper suits, and I want to say this, Moff Gideon's new suit with the helmet looks awesome. Right. The fact that he's using Beskar, which we ended up finding out that he had a lot of because that's what he was using to pay Mando to find baby Yoda. Right. So it's like he already had Beskar. Who knows how long he's doing this? Because like when they get there, they're like, what's going on? They find a fully like like TIE fighters and like troops there. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I honestly thought the fate of the show was going to be. Along the way, when they find the 
the the the people that were living on Mandalore, like the Boba Fett's that were like beat up and were were uh, talking about the night of you know the the that Bo Katan uh, left and everything. That they find them, they're like, oh, they're sick. So the armorer goes, well, I'm going to take a bunch of them back to our uh, things in space because we can't contact them. I honestly thought that the Empire was going to show up and destroy the fleet. Do you know what I mean? Like when she was going to go back, that's where we're going to see the Empire show up. And then the battle was going to be the next episode. And I was like, when there's a whole thing of like stormtroopers in Beskar uniforms and Moff Gideon's there, I was like, I was completely taken aback by this. And I thought it was really cool. And then in like a bit, like they end up capturing Mando and they take him off and they have to escape, which I don't understand why Bo-Katan didn't cut her way out with the dark saber before all this went down. Um, but they end up leaving. And uh, the guy, the, uh, the Mandalorian with old painless Joe ends up standing his ground and tells him to run. Cause he'll hold them off. And he's my new favorite. He's my new favorite dead guy in Star Wars <laughs> because when he's using that gun and it turns red hot because he hasn't stopped firing it. And he's like, all right, it doesn't work. So I'm just going to beat stormtroopers with a red hot rifle until they go down. And it doesn't end well, Joe. I got sad. Right. And in the first episode of this uh, season, when watching on the closed caption and all the Mandalorians were there and he was the only one that got a name, like a first and last name out of the whole crew. I'm like, Hmm, something's going to happen with him later. Got to keep an eye on him. Make sure we remember him, you know? Right, because he's a guy who, uh, like you said, they, they don't give lower tongue guy, rung guys like names so you can remember them. So they have something to put on the, the headstone after yeah. the show's over. You're either a nameless fodder or you're you're somebody who's gonna get, like you're gonna be upset that died. That's your that those are your two things in Star Wars. Or you're the armorer who's awesome. I still love yeah. the armorer. Well, I, like I said, I can't believe Star Wars is still going on since they killed Cad Bane. Yeah. So, uh, but I really like this episode. Uh, this is probably my favorite episode of the season. Close second behind uh, the one where uh, the Imperial person uh, does the betrayal on Doctor Pershing. Right. Yep. The, the Coruscant betrayal. Yes. <laughs> so I love that. I do. And I like when they send the Imperial droid to Coruscant, the probe droid, and nobody notices it's just flying down an alley. It's like, oh, you might want to be on the lookout for those. You know? Yeah, definitely. But I really like this episode a bunch. Uh, yep. I'm excited for the season finale to see what happens and then how it's going to lead into or if it leads into the next one, which is Ashka. Uh, yeah, Oshkosh by gosh, the TV show. Yeah. But that's all I got. This is like, I got no complaints, uh, no nitpicks. No, I, I mentioned my nitpicks about the chess games at the beginning, and that's it. No, like I said, other, you know, I, I, I'm gen. Okay, I got one, I'm uh, one upset that there was no Baby Yoda in IG 12 action figure the next day available online. <sighs> It's going to be tough to pass up on that one. If it's in the windowed box, I'll get it. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they yeah. usually have these things the day of that <laughs> these these episodes drop. Let For pre-sale, at least. You know what I yeah, mean? Pre-sale. Yeah, yeah. Give me not a second. That, not that you're going to get them, but... You might. They might um, advance sell them. Enjoy special access to select merchandise.
Now, will the grow will the baby Yoda figure be able to come out of its stomach? I'm looking to see what they have here. No, so get out of here. I don't want free shipping. I'm not buying anything. I'm just looking to see what you have here. <laughs> no, okay. So we're we're into like that's not new. This is already stuff that's on clearance. Right. See, when I write, they in, have I, they I, have I, the G- dark they have a dark saber that you could buy for two hundred twenty dollars. Ooh. They have an 11-inch Bo-Katan figure. They have never... a $375 life-size Baby Yoda figure. <sighs> um, oh, they have a Boba Fett, uh, or Boba Fett, Din Djarin and Grogu pin set. There you go. What, uh-huh. you, just got, you just found your Christmas present. Uh, Mandalorian voice-changing mask. No travel biscuits? No travel biscuits, Todd. Lots of cups and lots of shirts and lots of pewter, whatever's. Mm-hmm. And then as we're talking, if they have the Oshka Tano lightsabers here for kids, that's from Boba Fett. So no, they don't have no Boba Fett and IG or uh, Baby Yoda and IG-12 uh, toy, you know? Soon. You think one will come, though? I think that's going to be a Black Series deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that one, unfortunately, we might have to wait on, you know? Yeah. Some good old-fashioned toy talk at the end of the show. Um. So, yeah, I think that's it for this week then, huh? Yep, that's everything. All right. So, hey, listen, thanks, everyone, for um, hanging in with there with us for episode 654, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying uh, we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.